Welcome to a very special holiday edition of the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Velo News Magazine. It's the day after Christmas. I am sitting in the basement of the Velo News World Headquarters, staring at two empty chairs. That's right. Spencer and Dane, both out of town, both back east with their families. Uh, but fear not, listener, you will not have to listen to me drone on and on. Uh, for the entire episode. I have a great interview coming up that I did with Helen Wyman. Uh, Helen Wyman, British writer, veteran of the women's cyclocross scene, and she has some great insight on some of the dynamics shifting going on in uh, women's cyclocross right now, everything from the increase uh, in prize money to the lack of start money to why women's cross races are so dang difficult to predict. Uh, We have a great conversation about the state of women's international cyclocross. So that is coming up. And uh, we we will be back to our regular programming this coming week after the new year with all the takes, all the news, interviews, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, this is our final podcast of 2018. And I wanted to thank all of you for tuning in week in, week out to this podcast, to Fast Talk, to Dance Tech Podcast. Uh, we, we really love what we do. It's a lot of fun. And um, we love hearing from you. We love your comments. We love your tweets, Facebook comments, stuff on email. Um, never hesitate to reach out to us with what you like, what you don't like, what you think we could do better, et cetera. Um, And we have some really big stuff coming up in 2019. Uh, A couple episodes ago, I talked about the redesign we did for Velo News Magazine. I have the magazine right in front of me. I am looking at it. Listen to that. It's a big, thick, fat magazine. And I couldn't be happier with the way uh, this redesign came out. We have big photos, illustrations. We have new elements of the magazine bringing in history, photography, and, uh, you know, the same journalism, storytelling, reporting that you can expect with Velo News. We have a great story about Alejandro Valverde that Andrew Hood did. Andy tracked down a bunch of Valverde's uh, friends and fellow competitors from when he was a junior, talked about what type of a rider Valverde was like when he was a teenager, And he really goes deep on the topic of why it is that people like you and me, North American fans, see Valverde a certain way, uh, probably through the lens of Aparicio Puerto and the fact that he's never really commented on his checkered past and why fans in Spain don't feel that way and why Valverde never really has um, discussed that topic. He goes deep on that. I have a story that takes us inside the world of the Tour de France broadcast. This past year at the Tour de France, I shadowed the NBC sports producers for a day. Got to see inside the wacky, chaotic, very expensive world of Tour de France broadcasts. And I have a lot of other reporting in there about some of the interesting technological and business dynamics going on in uh, the broadcast around cycling and some of the debates within um, that world. We also have great stuff from Dane about the world tour. We break down the big storylines that we're going to be following in road racing in 2019. We just have a bunch of good stuff in here. 
Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm the editor of this magazine. I legitimately think this thing looks great. We put a lot of effort into it, so please take a look. We're also going to have some new fun digital programs coming up in 2019. I uh, can't talk all about it right now, but we're going to have some elements that dig deep into Velenu's history. You know, we've been around for 47 years. Um, outside this room, I have 47 years worth of old Velenu's magazines, print magazines. The Velenu's used to come out every two weeks, so you do the math. That's a ton of magazines with lots of stories, profiles, race reports, feature stories, analysis, tech reviews, that type of stuff. And we have some fun projects coming up in 2019 that's going to use that stuff. Uh, we're also going to be at the races in 2019. You know, the usual races, Tour de France, Tour d'Italia, the classics. But we're also going to be at a ton of North American mass participant events coming up this year. Um, you know, this past year, we went to the full Epic Ride series. We went to a lot of gravel races. I was at Dirty Kanza. We're going to increase that in 2019. So stay tuned to the, the podcast, villanews.com. You know, reach out to us, find out what races we're going to be at because we're going to be there um, writing about the events, really taking a, temp taking a temperature check on the state of North American mass participant cycling because, I mean, we ride our bikes, we participate in these events, and um, we have some thoughts and opinions on what's going on with participant cycling. So check that out. Um, again, I just want to thank all of you for continuing to listen to the podcast, read the site, read the magazine, check us out on social media. You know, it really is you guys that uh, keep us doing what we love to do. So thanks again. And let's get to my interview with Helen Wyman. We jump right into it. Uh, I was talking to her before hitting record about the topic of shorter women's races. There were a number of women's cyclocross races this year that ended before they hit the 40-minute mark. A lot of people were upset that the races were a little too short. So that's where we jump in with Helen Wyman. And again, we will catch up in the new year. Here's Helen Wyman. Yeah, so the, on the time thing, I think uh, three years ago, um, I it was one of my things in the ECI when I was on the cross commission was to try and get 50 minute races, because mm. if you go from 40 minutes to an hour, so it's the same as the men's, then it, it's quite hard to add extra 20 minutes training into your, into your training in one season. So to go 50 minutes and then to progress from there was really important. Um, and I asked for that. And the only the only, compromise I got was them to change the rule from 40 minutes for women to a minimum of 40 minutes which at the time there were bigger battles to fight mm -hmm. in terms of prize money um, in terms of uh, other other things for women's racing junior racing uh, under 23 worlds all those kinds of things so at the time I couldn't really push that any further when I already had so much on my there's only so much they could would give mm -hmm. you know and um, so then we still, for the next two years after that rule came in, people were still a little bit confused. And so they didn't read minimum 40 minutes. They just read 40 to 50 minutes. And so we still had maybe 15 or 16 races in that first season that were under 40 minutes, which was against the UCI rules. And even now, 
this year I know of four races that were under 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. I was at one of them, and then there was the um, Hammer, I think, was under 40 minutes. And it's kind of, to me, it just seems really silly. And I understand that there are 16-year-old girls racing in with the elite women, and I understand that we need a junior category um, for women's cross. And I don't know if you've just seen the news I just put out about there's going to be a the first uh, international junior women's race mm-hmm. at Lunau that's just for junior women. Yep. And... Um, it's on. It's the only one that's ever been in a major series, um, and that's really cool. But at the same time, a 16-year-old girl can race on the road and do 140 kilometres. So holding back the entire women's elite field by saying we can't do more than 40 minutes because there are junior girls in our category is kind of, to me, counterproductive when it should be making us have a junior category and then <laughs> the uh, the elite women can do 50 minutes. So I think it will eventually come. And I don't know, um, as every four years they change the commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my turn was done. And I don't know what they've discussed since then. And I do hope. I didn't leave them much more to fix, really. <laughs> so I do hope that that's one of the things that is going to come in in the future. Based on the conversations that you've had in the sport, what are the structural arguments, the structural reasons that people give for keeping the races short? Obviously, you know, there's the the junior women's inclusion and fears about them not being able to race that long. But, I mean, is it because of scheduling? Is it because people are afraid that's going to cut into the men's time? Like, what are the arguments against making the women's races longer? Um, basically the junior girls and then they also have suggested that it's really hard to run four races in one day Uh um which is i'm kind of cynical of because i've been to america and you guys can get like eight or nine in a day (laughs) so i don't think you have a problem (laughs) with timing and there's something like at world cups there's like an hour between the under 23s and the elite women Mm -hmm. so and they say, oh, that's for the staff, the people at the race to have lunch. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, I don't think they need an hour. <laughs> I'm fairly sure we could have an extra 10 minutes because, it, you know, if you said uh, women's cross is 50 minutes, it runs in line with the under-23s. Mm-hmm. And the commissaires understand that because they understand they get as close to 50 minutes, whether that's two minutes over or two minutes under they're still as close as they can. And it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have 54-minute races. It might mean we have 48-minute races, but it means we're never going to have another 39-minute race, that's for sure. Um, you know, another storyline that we have been uh, looking at is just the unpredictability of the women's races when matched up against the very predict- the predictability of the um, men's races. You know, in your conversations with people, at the races in Belgium, in the Netherlands, is that something that people address? Is that something that um, you know people within the sport are acknowledging? Yeah, definitely. In the uh, material impasse, what's that called in English? Pit in the pit. Uh-huh. Um, lots of the um, the helpers of the riders are, are regularly and staff are regularly talking and saying like, this year to get a top ten is last year's podium. It's it's so. Uh, there's so many more riders that are capable of getting the racing, getting the results that it, it's incredible. And at a World Cup, it's hard to get in the top 20 this year, which is 
something that you've never said in the past. Um, pardon me. It is, it's really exciting. And I think part of the reason there's been so many more riders um, able to win those races is also because the weather's been so dry. Mm. And so the courses have been quite fast and that allows better bunch racing. Whereas when it's super muddy and gloggy and, you know, the strongest riders ride away, it's kind of individual racing. Whereas mm-hmm. this year, Garvra had a bit of mud, but then that's it. That's the only race so far. And then you've got you've got a lot of the younger, the people that benefited from the first year of under-23 world championships mm-hmm. and moving into the elite. And as they go become elite, they a lot of the teams in Belgium have... Um, signed female riders um and have taken those riders on and they're taking them up a level and those girls have a lot more skills to start with that they're working with and that's that's really exciting um and i think uh they've had a pathway with the under 23s Mm -hmm. a lot of those riders have stayed in the sport but also that as the prize money becomes equal it, it is of any cycling discipline that is the most prize money in any women's cycling discipline. So the incentives are there financially. The incentives are there in terms of teams are taking on the foreign riders because there's not actually that many Belgian riders. There's Sana, Ellen, Lowe's, uh, Lara Vodonskot. And then after that, you know, you don't have any. So you take on the Dutch, the Italians, the uh, English, a- anyone that's there basically in the, in the top 10 that you can you can uh, have on your team and then the television and that's the big teams in Belgium want the same television time and Mm -hmm. the television focuses on the front of the race and when Matthew and Wout are the front of the race they're quite regularly a minute ahead of everyone else (laughs) whereas in the women's cross you you can have 10 riders in Wachtabika the day before Coxider there was 10 riders with two laps to go and from 10 different teams (laughs) So all of those teams are getting television coverage that they don't get from the men. So I think there's a huge number of factors, which it takes time for these things to build and for these things to happen and for um, for us to get to where we are. But I think it will only get bigger and better, really. Another dynamic we heard, which this is this dyma- dynamic is nothing new, is with the... Um, the prize money at hand and the TV time at hand, it does convince um, other talented female riders from mountain bike and from road who maybe do have some cross experience to commit to a partial cross calendar. Maybe not doing the full thing, but dropping in and out of the calendar and choosing some races to do. I think that's something that we've seen for a few years, though, in women's cross, you know, this sort of um, top women, you know, talented women from mountain bike or road coming in and, and choosing their battles. I think you've seen that a lot in the past, but I think this year, Lucinda Brand, mm-hmm. that's it really. I mean, other than Lucinda Brand, I, I can't think of, I mean, Evie Richards came in at the beginning of the season and took a break, but now she's back into a cross season until world. So, mm. whereas in the past, you would have had riders like Lechner drop in and drop out. You would have had uh, Anne-Marie Wars drop in and drop out. Um Maybe a rider like Yara Castellain would have focused on the road and now she's permanently. Voss would have just done the odd race. And now Mariana started in September. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's done fewer races, but then she is still she's still trying to recover long term from the fatigue she had a few years ago. So she's not gonna over push herself. But I think this year 
less so than other years because so many of those riders have committed to a full cross season. That's interesting. How does that change the dynamic? Um, you know, in years past when you had to be worried about, you know, some World Cup mountain biker with incredible fitness and handling dropping in and dropping out versus now where it seems to be a consistent field. How does that change things? Well, um, I think in the in the past, yeah, around Wilds time, you mm-hmm. would have a lot fitter riders because as a cross rider, it's hard to maintain um, your endurance based fitness basically, and so your top end is very good, but you might not have the full engine that you had at the beginning of the year, um, and so by Worlds, yeah, but I think it's actually you 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 may have had those riders come in at Worlds, but now this year being in the um, the top eight in the world ranking is incredibly hard to mm-hmm. do, and because those riders are doing a full season, they're racking up the UCI points, and there's a huge fight for the top fifteen, top twenty even that you've never seen in the past, and so you may take away the fact that they'll be super fit at Worlds, but you have to then add in the fact that you know they're fighting you for the front row position, so. It's kind of, yeah, take one and <laughs> change it for another. And, but that's not a bad thing for women's cyclocross. As a rider, yeah, you're like, oh, you know, I've just dropped ninth in the world ranking. I, I was up at fifth in the beginning of the season. And and all these younger, the, the riders like Arzufi and uh, Anne-Marie Worst and Mariana's full season, they've come ahead of me. Whereas in the past, they would never have done that because they didn't do the full season. But in terms of the sport in general, it's a fantastic thing for the sport. You know, a few days ago, we saw some information out on Twitter about um, some of the start money for uh, Wout van Aert and Matthew van der Poel, saying it was, you know, in the 10,000 euro range or sort of eight to 10,000 yeah. euro range for some of these big races. You know, start money is a huge driver and incentive for these top elite men um, on the Super Prestige series and some of the other major series, not the World Cup series, but some of the yeah. other major series um, because they can you know, generate healthy revenues off of that. From what we've heard, yeah. start money for the women is significantly less. I mean, it's, um, you know, a, a few thousand or a few hundred euro um, yeah. for some of the top women. What dynamic does that have on women's cross? Um, I don't, I mean, if you added up every woman start running in a race, you'd probably be around 10,000. So it's not, you know, one Wout Van Art would pay for the entire women's field, but... I don't think it necessarily impacts on the sport so much because mm. we've come from a place where it's always been pretty much the same as what it is now, really. Um, and But now we have equal prize money in C1 races and C2 races, whereas three, four years ago, we didn't. And 1,400 euros to win a race is significantly more than the 350 that we had three years ago. Mm-hmm. So... For us, the and, and nearly every race in Belgium is a C1. So for the women, we've actually seen increases in what money we take home from a race, but through the, the com- competition edge. And personally, I understand start money. I understand what it's about. Personally, I'd rather have bigger price funds and the people that get the results get the money on the day, basically. And, and that's kind of more how it works in Belgium for the women, unless you're the very top, like Sana or um, Mariana, maybe Katie Compton, riders like that. Um, but if you're not Belgian, you're never going to get the start money of a Belgian rider. And if you're not, 
and then the men's pits traditionally even when Sven was racing he was still getting 10,000 for a standalone race and 8,000 per series so like I don't think start money's actually changed that much for either the men or the women and I just think that the fact that there's other ways to earn revenue there were never any teams that supported women really in the past and now to be a UCI team you have to have a woman so there are a paid a fully paid contracted women that we didn't have three four years ago so I think for the women the start money isn't as important interesting it would be nice to have it but we're never going to have it (laughs) so we should focus on the things that we can affect like the individual round World Cup prize money by 2022 will be equal to the men, which would then be €5,000 to win the race compared to the 2000 it is now. One thing I was wondering was that with the women's racing becoming so unpredictable and becoming such a good show, if that may impact start money going forward. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know on that because it's kind of related to gate entry yeah. rather than, than television. So you're always going to get good riders to create a race. But as do the riders, traditionally in the past, Sven would get 10,000 people to a bike race and yeah. they would come to watch him. Yeah. So why shouldn't he get 8,000 euros? Because they're all paying 15 euros each. So why shouldn't he get a cut? And that's the tradition of start money. And Wout and Matthew arguably don't bring as many riders, as many spectators as traditionally someone like Sven or Bart Wellens would. But they've maintained that money because it's been there. Mm-hmm. So I think start money is a really difficult one to, to argue in, a, in an ideal world. It would be a travel expense and everyone gets the same basically. Um, but it's never going to be that. And you, you can't change a tradition that's, that's based on, it's, it's based on something that's not really real. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's not like, you know, you go to a, a race like EKZ in Switzerland, fantastic series, and they actually put they pay a, a limited travel expense money to riders, and then they put they like double the prize fund for the riders basically, and because they want to draw riders, they do have to pay a travel expenses, but it's so much less than what you would necessarily get outside of the country. But their prize money is almost double, so it's kind of you know what would you rather do and and. There, there might be a fair system where you say if you're this in the world ranking, if you're one, you've had this results in a World Cup, you should get this much money. But ultimately, the organisers aren't going to say we're going to do that because they'd have to pay out so much more, and they wouldn't necessarily get any more than they already get in terms of the riders. So it's yeah, I think it's a really strange one to try and fix in terms of equality, and I think it's a really strange one that isn't really going to change in our lifetimes. The big news um, that you had put out the other day and that you've been, I've seen you discussing about online is the growth uh, of the, well, of this junior category that's going to come online. I believe it's the 2020 World Championships is going to have a junior women's category. Um, you spoke about some uh, other races um, putting in a junior category. You know, guesstimating, looking five years down the road, what impact do you think um, a junior women's category, what could it have on women's cyclocross at large? I think it will, based on what's happened with the under-23s, I think it will be 
double the number of under-23s racing now off of their their pathway through Euros and Worlds. And I think you you can double that. So now you've probably got seven or eight riders that have come through the under-23s that are racing really well. Um, I forgot to mention Celine Alvarado. She was European under-23 champion this year. And you take those riders, you double it, you've got 14 more that I think could easily stay in the sport. And they, the, the teams are professional, making the sport more professional, making the riders more professional, making it harder to win races, meaning you have to be more professional. And I think it will make for an incredible sport in five years. That And it's incredible now, but imagine if you added in another whole group of of, uh, of Alvarados and Nobles and uh, Richards and uh, uh, Worst and all of those riders, and you add another load of them, like it's going to be a fantastic sport. So, Helen, based on what you've seen uh, at the World Cup and the Super Prestige and the other big races up to this point in the season, um, who are who do you have your eyes on for the World Championships? I think it's going to be one of 15 riders. Mm-hmm. Do you need me to list them? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be either Kant or Voss or Compton or Noble or Keogh or Richards, because I think she's going to ride Elite Worlds this year. Um, I think it could be uh, Worst or Bramia. I think we haven't seen the last of Lightning yet. She may be a bit slow off the ground to start with, but I think she'll be peaking for Worlds, and she's very good at that. Um, Denise Betsema, Maud Kaptynes, Ellen Van Loy, always good. And even with this changing group of riders, she's still consistently up there. Christine Mayeris, we up to 10 or 11? Up to 11. I've got to throw myself in there. Of course. Um, <laughs> I mean, I did do pretty well there last year. Katerina Nash, Laura Donchkot. Oh, yeah, Azufi. You, you, can't, you can't miss Azufi. She's really good. I think that either Maud Kaptins or Sophie de Boer are going to win now. Oh, Sophie de Boer. I forgot about Sophie de Boer. Yeah, there you go. There's another one. Right. Well, I think the point you've made is very apt, which is that it's anybody's game. I mean, um, and yeah. that speaks to the strength and the strength and the excitement of women's cyclocross this year. Definitely. And I, don't, I think the thing is people would say, oh, yeah, well, discredit Kant. But you can never discredit Kant on a course like that. She, she's she got to be the favourite still. And she's shown consistently that the last, the, the the first year she won wasn't a fluke. And the second year she won in completely different circumstances. And she still beat everybody in the very best way. And so I think that, yeah, I think it will probably be Kent. We've heard some stuff out of her camp that maybe she had a hard time with the travel to the United States and maybe picked up a bug on the way back. But, I mean, what can you say about um, Sana's racing in the first half of the season? I think she's riding just as well as she's always ridden. She's still won races. I think she's won three or four races. Mm-hmm. It's just that there are so many other riders winning that you you don't look and go, oh, Sana's going to win everything. And that... If she's not racing for a win, she doesn't always put in the same effort that she does <laughs> if she's racing for a win. But so maybe if she's not winning or not going for a podium, she might get seventh or eighth. But equally, I I do think it, it's just a case of every year you train harder, you know you're fitter, you know you're putting out more watts, you go to a bike race and somebody else is better than you. And that doesn't mean they're going to be better than you the whole season, 
but it does mean at that point, yeah, they've done exactly the same as you and they've moved on. And I think I think it's just so much more competitive this year being in the races than it's ever been. And that's why she's not dominant. But she's still won four races. There aren't very many female bike riders this year that have won four races. All right, Helen. Well, hey, have a great uh, time with the rest of your season. Best of luck. And, um, okay, thank you. Yeah, have a great afternoon. Thanks.